0: Turn with me to Matthew chapter twenty-eight. Is where we want to land this morning. Uh, as Nathaniel said, we're starting a new series today for the next five weeks called "We Are Harvest," and we're just going to be looking at kind of the the, uh, the foundations of who we are as a church, um, what we are all about, where we're going, and what we want to be doing together collectively for the glory of God. For some of you, this is going to be a refresher. If you've been with us for a few years, you've heard this a, a handful of times at least. Um, if you're new to Harvest, um, we're glad you're here, and this is going to be new for you, but hopefully this will be, um, help you kind of come in and be part of the vision and join in on what God is doing here, and we hope that that's helpful to you as well. So uh, five and a half years ago, uh, Courtney and I came back to St. Louis with a dream, with a vision of planting a church. Uh, I got a picture here. This is the first day back in St. Louis. We're unloading the U-Haul, and at this point in the, in the journey... We really had no people, we had no place to meet, we had no money, Um, but it didn't matter because God told us to go, and so we were going to plant a church. Um, We didn't want to plant just any church. We wanted to plant a vertical church. Maybe that's a new term for you if you're new to Harvest, um, but a vertical church is simply this. We wanted a church that was focused solely on glorifying God and worshiping God, and following God, and here's the key, the way that he desires. You see, this whole idea of the Christian life, and of worship, and of following Christ, it's not just doing it the way we want to do it, it's not just doing it the way that we like, or makes us feel good, but God has a way in which he wants to be worshiped, in which he wants us to follow after him, that's spelled out in his word, and we want to be a church that does it that way. And so this is kind of the the, the foundation of how we think about church is that our ultimate purpose in life, all of us as humans, is to bring glory to God. A couple of verses for that. Isaiah 43 7 says, Jesus, or I'm sorry, God is talking, he says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. It's reiterated again in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so if this is our call as individual believers, then our question was, how do we best do that collectively as the church, right? Each one of us individually in our life, that might look, look a little bit different, but how do we do it together as one? And we, I believe, we believe that Jesus spelled that out for us in his final instructions to his disciples, to his church before he left this earth. And we oftentimes call that the Great Commission. So we're going to look at that today in Matthew chapter 28. And basically, the short synopsis is, go make disciples. And so we're here at Harvest, we're a disciple-making ministry because of that statement, because of that instruction from our Lord. So that has always been, will always be the mission here at Harvest, to glorify God by making disciples. So today I want to refresh that, I want to renew that, I want to uh, communicate that to some of you who are maybe new with us and remind us why we are Harvest. So here's the big idea for you. We make disciples for the glory of God through the power, pattern, and presence of Jesus. Our goal, our mission is that we make disciples for the glory of God through the power, pattern, And presence of Jesus. We're going to see all three of those things here in Matthew twenty-eight as we walk through the Great Commission together. So, look at verse sixteen with me, we'll pick up there. Matthew twenty-eight, sixteen. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So point number one today is simply this. Make disciples in the power of Jesus. In the power of Jesus. It's interesting to me in verse 16, he starts off here and he says, Now the eleven disciples. So traditionally, we usually don't hear about the eleven disciples. We hear about the how many? 12 disciples, right? But at this point, we're already past the point where Judas has betrayed Jesus and then hung himself. So now we're down to 11. So the 11 disciples here, these were Jesus' main guys, right? This was his, his, his main circle. He'd been discipling now for three years. they have been with him every day. He, they should know him better than anyone. And yet, as he starts to approach them here, after his resurrection, it says that they saw him and that some worshipped him, but some doubted. What? <laughs> like, these are the 11. These are the top guys. And yet they're doubting Jesus. They're doubting the presence. Or the, the, the oh, Is this really him? Now, granted, this is the risen Jesus, right? So let's just, if we can just be honest for a second, like, if I was there, if you were there, it might still be hard to believe, right? Like this is the first time you've ever seen like a guy come back from the dead and walk around and teach and eat fish and walk through walls. Like that's a new thing for most of us. And so like that would be a little freaky. So I think the disciples here, it's not that they don't believe in him in general, but they're just still trying to kind of wrap their minds around what is going on. Is this for real? Are we imagining this? They just weren't quite all the way there yet. Are you tracking with me? I'm a little unsure, Jesus. I, I want to believe, but I still have some questions, right? Like, I, I don't fully understand all of it yet. I think that's where they're at. And I think, if we're honest, many of us have been there at different po- points in our walk with Christ. Have you ever felt that way? We're like, I believe in you, Jesus, but there's just some things I don't quite get yet. I don't quite understand it all. There's still some pieces that don't quite make sense to me, and I'm trying to figure it out, and I have a little bit of doubt that's sticking around, And then I love what Jesus does next. It says, they saw him, they worshiped, they doubted, and it says, Jesus came and said to them. In the middle of their struggle, in the middle of their doubt, Jesus doesn't say, well, guys, it's been three years. I'm done with you. I can't handle this anymore. I'm out, right? He doesn't ignore them. He doesn't chastise them. He comes near and he talks to them. In the middle of their doubts, in the middle of their struggles, he gives them grace again. And I think it's just a good reminder for all of us that this Christian life is not always easy. It's hard. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of discipline. But thankfully, we have a God who is gracious and patient with us every step of the way. And he comes near to us when we're struggling and when we're doubting. And he speaks to us and he, he shows us the way again. And so he comes and he tells them, he says, all authority has been given to me. The word "their authority, is representative of his power, right? All authority or all power has been given to Jesus. He has absolute power to carry out his plan and his will on earth and in heaven here, according to his words. And I think the reason Jesus is reminding the disciples this is he's telling them, "There's listen, there's two implications here. If it's true that Jesus has all authority all power in heaven and on earth, then there's two implications. Number one, if Jesus has the power, then guess what? We don't have the power, right? And so if Jesus has the power, he says, I have the power over you, so do what I say. Obey, right? I'm getting ready to give you some instructions, and you need to know that this isn't a suggestion. This is a requirement because I have the power. Do this. That's the first implication, The second implication of Jesus' power is that because he has the power and we don't have the power, we can't go out and do anything on our own. We are his instruments in this great thing that we call the mission of God. It's God's power working through us that can accomplish making disciples. None of us can do that on our own. Because Jesus is very clear. We don't have the power. He has the power. He says, but because all authority, all power has been given to me, he says, go, therefore, and make disciples. That word, therefore, is super important throughout all of Scripture. When you see that word, therefore, it's connecting two different thoughts, right? So he's saying, go make disciples, therefore, because of my power, my authority. Do you see it? He's setting, the, he's setting the, the, t- the table from the very beginning. Listen, we're going to do this thing together. We're going to make disciples, but it's not going to have anything to do with you. <laughs> it's not going to have anything to do with your abilities or your strength or your power or who you think you are or how great and awesome your church is. It's none of that. Disciples are going to be made from my power, Jesus says. So go and do it. And if we work to make disciples in and through the power of Jesus we cannot fail because he has all authority he has all the power and so no one and nothing can stop his mission now what struck out to me this week is i was studying this i've studied this passage i don't know how many times i've preached this passage i don't know how many times but as I'm studying it this week, God is always so good just to give us some new stuff, right? Each time we study God's word, each time we, that's why we do it day after day after day. And I, I, he caught me on the doubted part, that some doubted. And what struck me was this, that Jesus, he didn't wait for the 11 to get their act together before he said, go make disciples, right? He didn't wait for, "Okay, all right, well, let's have another class. Let me give you another, let me explain it all to you again. He didn't wait for them to get it all perfect and figured out and and have their Christian life to a certain level. No, he said right now, right here, go make disciples. Because it's not in your power, it's in mine. And what this tells me, friends, and I think all of us need to hear this because we get stuck in this trap a lot, I think, as Christians. Jesus doesn't use perfect people. He uses practicing people. Jesus doesn't use perfect people. He uses practicing people. If you're waiting till your faith or your ability or your understanding of the Bible reaches a certain level before you go out and you start working to make disciples of Jesus, you're missing the boat. Jesus doesn't tell us, you got to get to this level before you're ready. He says, no, no, do you have faith in me? Do you believe? Good, go make disciples. Whatever you know, whatever you've learned, even if it's this much, pass it on to somebody else and help them join in to the mission. He wants people who are actively practicing their faith. Not that they have it all perfect, but that they're actively practicing their faith with others. And he sends us out as imperfect, struggling people to make disciples in his power. And I I think the reason he does it this way is because if we're going out in weakness, if we're going out when we don't have it all together, then when the disciple actually gets made, who gets the power, or who gets the glory? God does, right? I can't take any glory for anything where I'm just like fumbling along and trying to figure it out as I go. Jesus gets the glory because it's his power using me as his instrument to make disciples. And that's the way he wants it. So, practice. Uh, speaking of struggling, as the disciples are here, I was reading the story this week of a lady who was struggling with her health, and so she goes into the ER, and she was having problems keeping food down. I just, you know... You know what I'm talking about. So she goes into the ER, and she, they put her in a room or whatever, and, and finally this male nurse comes in, and he starts, says, you know, can I ask you some, some questions and kind of get some medical history and stuff. And so she said, that's fine. So they start going through this whole process, and he's asking her some questions. And he says, um, have, you, have you ever had a hysterectomy? And she said, actually, yeah, I did. Um, and he said, okay, when was it? She said, well, it was back in 2011. And he said, okay. He said, so, um, so do you think you could be pregnant? And she was like, do you think this is the right job for you? <laughs> like did you miss something along the way? Like didn't It's funny to me how after all the training and all the schooling and all the stuff that our nurses and our doctors and all that go through we still somehow call it the practice of medicine. Have you ever noticed that before? Because even though there's a great scientific field that surrounds our modern day medicine, there's still a part of it that's not always an exact science. Right? There's still that variable human element where we have to kind of figure it out as we go sometimes and learn on the fly, and doctors and nurses are constantly reading more and learning more of new medicines and new treatments, and they're learning from their experience with patients, and they keep going, they keep treating patients as they're practicing medicine. They don't stop and wait until they have all of medicine completely figured out, and it's all perfect before they start treating patients right? Otherwise, none of us would ever get treated for anything. The same is true for us as Christians when it comes to making disciples. Ours could be called the practice of disciple making. We don't have it all figured out yet. It's not all perfect, but Jesus still says, go and make disciples. Practice your faith And as you go, you're going to learn more and you're going to grow more. I have learned and grown more as a disciple of Jesus when I've been working to help somebody else follow Jesus than I ever do by just sitting on my bed and reading my Bible. It's the practice of our faith that grows us and strengthens us and stretches us and brings more people in to the family of God. Jesus doesn't use perfect people, He uses practicing people. So the question for you is this. How well are you practicing your faith when it comes to making disciples? Are you putting it into action? Are you working to, to reach others and to share what you know and, to, and to, to teach them what you've learned? Even if it's not all perfect yet. Are you practicing your faith to make disciples? So that's the first thing. We make disciples in the power of Jesus. Starts with the power. But then point number two comes from verse 19. Look at 19 again. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So point number two is simply this. Make disciples in the pattern of Jesus. It starts with the power, but there's also a pattern that Jesus has given us to make disciples. And it starts with this word go. And if you've heard me teach or preach this before, maybe you've heard this somewhere else, that the word go there, translated in our Bibles go, uh, the Greek word actually means more like as you go. All right? So he's not telling them go over here and do this and then come back or go over here. and He's not giving them like a destination. He's saying as you go, as you go throughout your day, as you go to work, as you go to school, as you're at home with the kids, as you're at the grocery store, wherever you go, whatever you do, all the time, as you go, be making disciples. This should be our continual focus all the time, everywhere. This is what we're called to do as followers of Christ. He says, go, make disciples. And make disciples is the primary command in this whole section. Right? His, his, his central idea is this, to make disciples. And if that was the central idea to Jesus' very last words to his disciples, to his church, I think that has some pretty big emphasis for what we're supposed to be about. So if we're going to make disciples, we have to know what disciples are, right? Because you can make uh, disciples of lots of things in lots of different ways, but for Christians, disciples are three things primarily, okay? Disciples are, number one, believers. You can't be a disciple of Jesus until you believe in Jesus. It starts with salvation. It starts with putting your faith in him, they have, disciples have to believe in their leader. They have to entrust themselves to his teachings, to his ways, to what he has come to say and do. So disciples are believers. Number two, disciples are learners. Disciples are always seeking to learn and understand everything about their leader. What he says, what he does, how it all works together. Disciples want to have the mind of their leader. So they're believers, they're learners, and then lastly, disciples are followers. They seek to put into practice all that their leader has taught and demonstrated. They don't just want to have their leader's mind, they want to follow his ways. And so when you put those three things together, believers, learners, followers, discipleship becomes this continual cyclical process of the heart, believing, believing, the mind, learning, and then the behaviors, the body, uh, following what Jesus has done. But it has to go in that order, and all three of those elements have to be present for it to be a true discipleship relationship. Right? It has to start with the heart, belief, that then transforms the mind to, to hear and understand and follow Jesus' commands with our behaviors. So he says, go, make disciples, Of all nations. He uses that word all a lot in this passage. And every time, crazy enough, it means the exact same thing. It means all. It means all nations, all peoples. That there is no one, nowhere, that is beyond the call of the gospel, that is not in need of Jesus, that this reaches to all people in all places. And that's why we take the gospel, yes, across the street, and across the city, and across the country, and across the world. We want to be about taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to any and every person that we can. And so when we think about and we talk about missions here at Harvest, we simply see missions as just a natural outflow of the Great Commission. It's not a separate thing that we put over here on the side. It's something that is just infused with our church for this is how we spread the gospel. Yes, we do it in local evangelism. Yes, we do it at work and at school and in our home. But then we also do it as we support church plants in other cities in our country. We do it as we support churches outside of the United States. We do it as we were hoping this next we're hoping this past summer to take our first short-term mission trip and the COVID came, so that didn't happen. But hopefully this next summer we'll be able to do that. Because we want to be about taking the gospel everywhere. So he says, go make disciples of all nations. And then he tells us kind of two specific commands that that should, that should involve. Number one, he says, baptizing them. And baptizing, baptizing them here can, has been confusing for some because they think that he means only baptizing. But he's actually using the term baptizing here as kind of a shorthand way of saying what he said throughout his entire ministry, which is to teach them to repent of their sins, believe in me, and then be baptized. That was always been the pattern of Jesus all throughout the gospels. He's not changing it here as he leaves, okay? He's just saying that general pattern, follow that to bring people into the family, into discipleship. And so if we're going to do that, it starts with the gospel. This is something we, re- we talk about often here at Harvest. We want to this to be fluid and, and to, be, um, to be grounded into our minds. Because this is what we have to share for people to repent and believe. Right? That all of us are sinners. That because of our sinful hearts and our sinful desires, we choose to rebel against God and his word. We choose to disobey him. And because we disobey a holy, perfect God, we deserve his wrath and punishment. We deserve hell as the consequence. But because of God's gracious love towards us, instead of giving us what we deserve, he gives us an opportunity to be set free from that by sending his only son, Jesus Christ, to come and to be born as a human, to live a perfect and sinless life on this earth, and then to go to the cross and die a sinner's death. To willingly and lovingly put himself in our place, to take the punishment that we deserved for our sin, and to put it upon himself, and to allow himself to be killed on the cross for our sins. And Then he went to the grave, and three days later, he rose back to life to prove that he was God, to show us that he was who he said he was, and he did what he said he was going to do. He conquered sin, and he conquered death, and he has set us free from that if we will repent of our sins, turn away, and believe in him for salvation. And if we do that, he will forgive us, and he will bring us into the family of God, and he will give us an eternity with him in heaven. This is what Jesus is telling them. Go, tell everyone the good news so they can be saved and be baptized, and they can become a disciple. And he also says here, just as a little nuance, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Again, in the name there, you could even translate that into the name, right? Or into the family is what he's saying, right? Like, baptize them into allegiance to God, to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit. That that this is part of becoming a group, a family that will last for eternity. So the allegiance is there. And it's shown through the act of baptism. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Teach them the disciplines. Teach them the commands of Jesus. Teach them what they are to do and say and and how they are to live in light of God's great love and salvation for them. And again, in that phrase there, teaching them to observe, the word observe is all about guarding. It's about keeping watch over something. All right? It's not just about doing something, but it's, it's about keeping very careful, close eye on what we're doing and why we're doing it and how we're doing it and making sure that we are doing everything we can to line up with Jesus' teaching and all of God's word. Again, it starts with the heart. First you believe, and then the mind is changed to believe the words of Christ, and then our behaviors fall in line as we observe and keep those commands together. It says, teaching them to observe, here it is again, all that I have commanded you. The full teachings of Jesus in God's word. Nothing left out. Oftentimes, we talk about that as preaching the full counsel of God. Here at Harvest, we believe that every single word in this book is from the Lord. Every single word is without error and without Um, without mistake in any way. And that as followers of Christ, we are called to live this out to the best of our ability in the grace of God. And so we strive to teach all of God's word as Jesus told his disciples to do. And as you put all this together, right, as you believe in Christ and then you learn, uh, you believe in Christ through the gospel and then you are baptized into the family and then you learn the teachings of Jesus and you follow him, that leads us into what we call sanctification. It's kind of a fancy theological word we use here in church, but here's basically what it means. It's a step-by-step process of learning and observing God's word in our life. And if you're a follower of Christ, every single one of us is in this process of sanctification. We might be at different points in the process, but we're all in this process of step by step, day by day, learning to understand and follow God's word more. And so, if we take all of that we've just walked through and put this together, and just kind of a, I put a simple diagram here together for us for the cycle of discipleship. The discipleship cycle looks like this. I think sometimes we try to parse these things out as if they're like separate things. And they are, but they are all combined in the idea of what Jesus is calling us here to in discipleship. So discipleship cycle starts with evangelism. It starts with hearing the gospel and believing in Jesus. And once you do that, you then move into the second part, which is conversion, right? That you put your faith in Christ, and the Holy Spirit comes and fills you and changes you and makes you a part of the family of God. And then once you've been converted, you move into this process of sanctification where you start learning step by step, day by day, what it means to follow Jesus. But as you enter that process of sanctification, our job then as Christians is to move right back into the cycle with somebody else and to take what we've learned of the faith and share that with somebody else and evangelize them so that we bring somebody else into the cycle and we start through it again. And they get converted, and they join sanctification, and then we're evangelizing somebody new again, and that just keeps going over and over again in this cycle of discipleship. And hopefully in each round of the cycle, if you will, you're continuing to grow in your sanctification even greater and greater and greater, but no matter where you're at in that sanctification process, you're still looking to continue the cycle with somebody else. Evangelism, conversion, sanctification. And these are the three things I believe that Jesus is laying out here for us in this final teaching. As I was processing this this week and thinking through it, it brought to mind a man in our church that I feel like, um, as I've got to know him more and more over the last year, um, is doing exactly what we're talking about here. Some of you know Craig Simpson. He was baptized in our church uh, towards the beginning when we first started, and uh, you may have heard his story. Maybe you haven't, but Craig, he, he never really grew up in a Christian home like some of us. Um, that, he, that just wasn't his thing. Um, he had no really church background. He thought religion was for, for losers and for weak people, and like, that wasn't um, his thing at all. And so that was kind of his growing up years. But then at some point in his life, he found himself in a pretty big hole, right? We've had those experiences, right, where we, we kind of get that place where we're just like desperate and we don't know what to do, and it's just life is really tough. And in the middle of this big hole, he had a friend that he hadn't seen in years kind of come back into his life, but the friend was different he just wasn't the same anymore. He wasn't the same guy. And so Craig's like, "Hey, what's up with you?" like why you so different. He's like, "Well, I, I found Jesus." And so his friend starts telling him about Jesus and starts evangelizing him and and Craig believes and becomes saved and and Jesus comes and saves him. And ever since I've known Craig and that was only a handful of years ago. So this, he's pretty young in the faith compared to a lot of us in some ways, but he comes to Christ and and ever since I've known Craig, he's had this hunger God's Word. He's just, he's in God's Word. He's learning. He's growing. He's, he's faithfully following the Lord. And he would be the first one to tell you that he still has a long way to go. <laughs> he still has a lot to learn. He's definitely not there. The sanctification process is still going step by step, but he's taking that step, following Jesus more and more each day, and he's growing. But here's the most encouraging thing to me. Is Craig's been in our small group the last year. I've got to hear more and more from him on a weekly basis, that even though he's young in his faith, even though he's still figuring things out and it's not all perfect yet and he's still getting sanctified, I feel like every time I talk to him, he has another story of somebody he's telling about the gospel. Somebody at work, somebody in his apartment complex, one of his family members. He's like, hey, pray for me. I'm talking to so-and-so this week about this. Or they were asking these questions. And He doesn't have it all perfect yet, but he's already sharing what he does have. What God has blessed him to understand and see so that other people can come into the faith. And he's walking through this cycle even in the early days of his Christian faith. That's what Jesus is calling us to here. That is the discipleship circle in action. And this is what we all need to be pursuing. The more we do that, the more we will advance the mission of God and make disciples Christ. So point number two is this, make disciples in the pattern of Jesus. We're a vertical church. We want to do it the way God says to do it, the way that he wants us to do it. This is it right here, okay? Make disciples in the power of Jesus, in the pattern of Jesus, and then point number three is simply this, make disciples in the presence of Jesus. I love and I'm so thankful for how Jesus ends verse 20 here. Look at verse 20 again. It says, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always. Jesus never sends us out alone on mission. You're never asked to do this by yourself. He says, no, no, I'm going to go with you. I am always with you, he says. Now, I think sometimes the problem is on this journey of mission, sometimes we forget that or we choose to ignore that, and we we tend to turn our backs away from him. But guess what? He is still always there. And that should be so strengthening to us and encouraging to us that, listen, guys, the creator of the universe, the risen Savior, the King of all kings, the eternal God is with us. Always. So we're in this together with him, his power, his presence. And so we can do this. I feel like I talked to so many believers today that are looking around at the crazy chaos in our world. And are so despondent about what's going to happen to the church and what's going to happen to Christians and what's going to happen to all this. And it's just getting worse and worse and everybody's turning against us. And Yeah. But we have the power and the presence of Jesus with us. And so the church is going to do what it's always done. Keep making disciples. Will it maybe look a little bit different? Maybe. Will it be harder? Possibly. Will it maybe hurt and require some sacrifice at times? Most likely. But Jesus' presence and power guarantees victory in the mission. And He has promised that to us here. We always have His power with us to make disciples, we just have to stay connected to the power source. When we start getting freaked out and despair and despondent over things, it's because we're not staying connected to the power source of Jesus Christ. We need to renew our minds and renew our hearts in his word, in, in worship together, in community with one another. We need to be doing the things that Jesus has told us to do so we can stay connected to his power and to his presence. Another place in Scripture he promises us that through the ups and the downs Of ministry and life and everything else, that He's always with us. When we kill it and when we blow it, Jesus is with us. When we find success and when we don't, Jesus is with us. He is always with us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. And nothing you do or don't do will ever change that. As much as we're called to make disciples and we're gonna be about that as a church, Making disciples doesn't earn us favor, but it does produce fruit in us and in others. This isn't about earning God's favor. It's not about doing what he said so that he likes us more or so that he's nicer to us or so he gives us better stuff in life. You already have 100% of the favor of God the moment you put your faith in him. He's just asking you to put that favor into action so that more people can come to know it and you can grow in your relationship with him. I am with you always, and then here it is, to the end of the age. In other words, the mission doesn't stop. Until the day that Jesus steps back down on earth and we see him face to face, we're going to be on this mission of making disciples. The church doesn't quit. The kingdom doesn't quit. We keep making disciples through the power and the presence and the pattern of Jesus Christ until he comes back and sets all things right and takes us to heaven with him. When I was a kid growing up in one of the neighborhoods that we lived in, We had a big group of boys in the neighborhood, and so we always loved to get together and play sports, and so we'd play football and wiffle ball and hot box and basketball and all these things. But there was one boy in the neighborhood, his name was Bobby, and Bobby was the oldest by far. He was the biggest. He was the most athletic, and so when it came time to play and we were going to pick teams, guess what? Everybody wanted Bobby on their team. Because right? if you had Bobby, you were virtually guaranteed that you were going to win because he was double the size of everybody else. He was the neighborhood ringer, if you will. We have the biggest ringer in all of eternity on our team. We have Jesus Christ with us. And so we cannot lose at this church if we will just be faithful to step out and to do what Jesus called us to do by making disciples. Make disciples in the presence of Jesus. This is what we're called to. We can't do it on our own. We can't do this just us, guys. We make disciples for the glory of God through the power, pattern, pattern, and presence of Jesus. All three components have to be there. And when they are, church, this cannot fail. So Harvest, we're going to pour ourselves out doing this. Not in our strength, not in our power, but by the almighty power of Jesus Christ in us. This is all for him, it's all to him, and it's all about him. He is our King of kings and our Lord of lords, and so we are going to be about his mission, his kingdom, making disciples. Will you stand with me? Let's pray and let's sing a song of response together this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you now. We thank you, God, so much for this time together. Lord, we praise you that we're being able to worship you again collectively on Sundays. It's so good to be in your presence. It's so good to be with your people. Lord, we need this to strengthen us for the work that you have. So dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending Jesus to save us, to call us into your family, Lord, to deliver us from our sins. You have entrusted us with this great gift and this responsibility to share that gift of the gospel with others. So Lord, help us today stay connected to your power and your presence as we seek to make disciples for your glory. Help us to be bold in sharing the gospel and in teaching believers all that you have commanded. Help us to fulfill your mission despite our weaknesses and our flaws and our inabilities. Lord, we love you. We trust you. And we rely on you to build your church and to use us to make more and more disciples of Jesus Christ. You, you are our king and we will Serve you. Pray all of this in Christ's name.